you would, and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be moving around just a little bit in the scriptures today. And the question this morning is, do you see Jesus? We see so much. How many of you have ever seen red? Somebody cut you off in traffic, somebody butted in line, and all you could see. Anybody ever have that experience uh, I didn't think it was just unique to uh, a few of us here this morning. And, uh, of course, uh, people talk about seeing many things that just aren't there. Uh, how many of you remember algebra in high school? Did you see it? I mean, the teacher certainly saw something, didn't they? Uh, he or she, I mean, they claimed to understand how to work those massive problems there. Uh, some people just never do see algebra. In fact, I read an article a while back. It says algebra is one of the most worthless things. It doesn't, you never use it. And uh, let me tell you something. If you think you use algebra, uh, you need that stuff, whether you want it or not. Uh, that's the whole purpose of advanced mathematics is to teach you how to think. And um, yet... Did you see it? And uh, even this day, I, uh, well, I, Stephen has problems seeing it. Uh, but he'll, he'll get it eventually. But we see a lot of things around the Christmas holidays. I'll tell you, people see all the commercialism. People see all the unhappiness and the, and the trouble that is in our wor- world And I want to ask you a question. Are you seeing Jesus? That's a choice you have to make. On Bethlehem's, outside the city of Bethlehem, we believe the Old Testament prophet uh, Micah named the place the Tower of the Flock, Migdal Eder. Uh, It was where the sacrificial flocks were kept. Uh, the shepherds that were mentioned that saw the angels that night were not ordinary shepherds. And I know if you read in commentaries and things, they'll say, well, there's no proof that that was true and all of this. Uh, let me tell you something. They had to keep those flocks somewhere. On Passover, there would be over 120,000 lambs sacrificed. Where in the world are you going to get that many lambs to do the sacrifice if you don't have some massive flocks somewhere? And the place outside Bethlehem was the ideal place to keep them. And the angels appeared unto them. And I love what the uh, shepherd said in verse 15. We're just going to read one verse of this this morning. Verse 15 of Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem. What are those next two words? And see. And see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. You know, you have to choose to see. 
You ever, ever met somebody that didn't want to see it? I mean, you couldn't convince them if you hung it right in front of them. I mean, if you beat them over the head with it, they couldn't see it. Why? Because you do not really see with your eyes. You see with your brain. Your brain has to put together the sensory perception that your eyes receive and make an image. If you only saw what your eyes took in, the experts tell us you would have two big holes in everything you see. Because the part where your optic nerve connects to the eyeball blocks that portion from receiving light. And what your brain does is it puts together a total figure and covers up those holes uh, that are created there by the optic nerve, and you can see clearly and you can comprehend things. I tell you, it's an interesting study to study what happens when you see something. How many of you here are colorblind? You can't tell the difference between colors. Do you know why that is in America, why the red light is on top and the green light is on the bottom? So that anyone who cannot tell the difference between green and red, it all looks brown to them, they'll still be able to tell which light has been lit and not cause an accident. Uh, In some countries, they put them all in a row. And uh, that could be a very uh, scary thing if you don't know which one means go and which one means stop. Uh, I had a friend in Bible college and he was all upset. He had wanted to be a demolition expert in the army. Now, what he was doing in Bible college, I have no idea. Uh, And and, uh, he was probably not the only thing that he was mistaken about, I am sure. Uh, But... He was all upset and he said, I'm mad at God. And I said, why? He said, because I'm colorblind. That'll really help you being a demolition expert. Grab the green wire. Boom. Uh, I'll tell you what, I think his problem was a little bit more than being colorblind. He was not seeking God's will for his life. You see, you've got to choose to see it, my friend. And there's an awful lot to see this time of year, is there not? But what we need to do is we need to keep our eyes fastened on the Lord Jesus. And these shepherds, they had heard that in Bethlehem, just a little ways away from where they were keeping the sheep, there was a child that was born... He was going to be the Savior of all mankind. He is Christ the Lord. I can't imagine what went through the hearts and minds of those shepherds. But they did say this. This is more important than keeping the flocks. This is more important than anything else that's going on. Let's go see this thing. It's come to pass. Let's go see this thing that God has made known unto us. And today, as we prepare to investigate God's word, 
My prayer is that as the shepherds, we would choose to see those things which have come to pass, which God has made known unto us. Amen? Because Jesus wasn't born just to be the centerpiece of the manger set. He was born to be the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Actually, He was all of those things already. He doesn't have to become those things. But God in His time is going through this process and preparing this world. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. And we're going to go down in history a few years in the life of Christ. Jesus was now a grown man. He had begun his earthly ministry. He had been preaching uh, for approximately a year, maybe a year and a half at this point. In verse 2 of Matthew chapter 11, it says, Now when John, this is John the Baptist, had heard in the prison the works of Jesus of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Could I challenge you today that even John the Baptist, who had thundered out of the wilderness, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the earth, the world, that he had gotten distracted. He had gotten his eyes off of the Lord Jesus. I want to challenge you, if it could happen to John the Baptist, it can happen to you. If John the Baptist could begin to question some things, maybe you could too. You know, John was in prison. I don't know what it's like to be in prison, but I can tell you in John's day, you did not receive three squares and a cot. If someone didn't bring you food, you starved. Even to death right there in the prison, no one cared. They did not clean the prison cells. You did not have hot and cold running water in the prison. Uh, you did not have showers or any sanitary facilities whatsoever. It was a horrible place to be. Now, John's life was different, was it not? He was born to an elderly set of parents by a miracle of God. As a young man, maybe even just a teenager, he was moved out into the wilderness where he had no contact with society at all. But at a time directed by the Holy Spirit of God, he began preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
John did not go into the cities. The cities came out to where John was. His preaching was the first glimmer of light that they had had since the angels spoke to the shepherds that night. And if we go back from before the angels and the shepherds, we would have to go back in history 400 years to the prophet Malachi. There had been no open revelation for all of that time. Why do you think all the Jewish people went out? Because they wanted to believe that Messiah was come. Now, John wasn't influenced by their thoughts because he hadn't been connected with society at all. His understanding of God and his word came from a relationship with God. And someone might ask, well, why can't I do that today? Why can't I just go out in the wilderness and put away everything and just wait for God to speak to me? Well, he's already spoken to you. If you don't pay attention to this, you're not getting anything else. Don't base your relationship with God upon what you feel. Let me tell you something. John didn't feel very good in prison. In fact, he felt so bad to the point that he called two of his disciples and said, I want you to go check this Jesus guy out to make sure that he's really the Messiah. That's pretty scary now, isn't it? Maybe John was expecting Jesus to do some more things than he did. You know, Jesus' earthly ministry was mainly healing, teaching, and preaching. Not the way to overthrow the tyranny of Rome, now was it? Not the way to set everybody free. Not the way to uh, uh, re, uh, uh, redo and, and to rid the temple compound of the unbelieving uh, uh, priest and their, their ilk. But to bring true and honest religion, all Jesus did was go about doing good. But can you tell me any person that has had more influence in history than the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen? But John didn't understand all those things. He began to question. John was believing that Jesus is the Messiah but he quite didn't match up with what John understood. Have you ever had that problem with God? When he doesn't match up with what you understand. I want to be kind this morning, but it's not God that has the problem. And that's what he told John. He said, I want your, he said, you disciples of John, he said, I want you just to open your eyes and see what is going on. You know what? Jesus did not have to have a big tent set up outside of town to heal people or a TV truck and a satellite uplink. Uh, there's no record that Jesus took great big offerings to keep the ministry going. Uh, one blasphemer 
who calls himself a televangelist, said that Jesus had so much money he needed 12 disciples to, uh, to protect it. What a filthy liar. That's the only thing we know to say about that kind of person. Jesus, when, some, when the disciples followed him, he said, the Son of Man hath no place to lay his head. He said, I don't own a home. I don't have a place. John got distracted and he began to doubt. And you know, we today, we know better than that now, don't we? And we would never go, well, I'm not sure Jesus is the, is the true Messiah. But here's what we do. Lord, I got so much going on, I just can't. Hold on to everything I can't understand. Lord, why, why are you trying me this way? Does that sound a little closer to home? Is that any less doubting who Jesus is than what John did? Well, we better be careful, hadn't we? We better watch out. It ain't Santa Claus that's coming to town, my friend. It is the judge of all the earth before whom each one of us must stand. And when we take our eyes off of him and put them on the circumstance of life, let me tell you something, you're going to be discouraged because it's not nice out there. Someone once told me, he said, well, you got it easy, preacher. Your whole world is just about the church. You know, in some ways I do. And I'm, I'm happy about that. But you know what? I've got papers laying on my desk that have to be filled out this week. Because if we don't fill those papers out, uh, New York City is going to tax our church out of existence. Let, let me tell you something. There's a lot of pressures out there. There's a lot of evil people who want to do evil things. And by the way, there's an awful lot going on in the name of church. It had nothing to do with church today. And so we've got to put up with all the paper and all the problems because we live in a world where men wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So I'm going to fill out all that paperwork. Why? Because I got my eyes on Jesus and in order to be a good testimony to him, I've got to be a good testimony to those that are around. Amen? How many of you wish Jesus had come back today? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But those who just raised your hand, how many of you know some friend or family member that's unsaved that you wish would get saved before Jesus came back? I'm going to let that be in his hand and keep my eyes on him. I'm not going to get discouraged about what is going on. I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. You know what? Sometimes I just don't understand. And as a human being, my sensory perception just gets overwhelmed. There's only one thing that will keep you from being swept away 
with everything that is going on in our world today. That's looking unto Jesus. That is keeping your eyes on Him. That is when I don't understand what's going on or why this has to be, I'll just put my faith and trust in the one who saved my soul. You know what? Sometimes I get myself in trouble for things that I have done. You ever been there? But let me ask you a question. When you sin, where can you take your sin to get it right? There's only one place. It's back to Jesus. Amen? We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Him. That's why I asked the first question, the question this morning. Do you see Jesus? Or do you see a problem? If all you see is a problem, you've got to get your eyes checked. You've got to take a moment. You've got to make that choice, just as the shepherds did, to go even now unto Bethlehem and see that which has come to pass, which the angels have made known unto us. Turn over, if you would, to uh, Mark chapter... Well, let's go Matthew chapter 17, and then we'll go to Mark chapter 9. How many of you remember the story of the transfiguration? This is where Jesus went up into a mountain, and uh, Moses and Elijah appeared unto him. And in Mark chapter 9, let me just read the verse in Mark. Keep your finger, keep there in Matthew 17. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5, let's read that. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Verse 8, And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, save Jesus only. You know what? If the disciples could get distracted, how many of you remember what Peter said here? He said, let's build three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah. Oh, Lord, let's not forget you. How many of you have ever been distracted by great personalities? You know what? We all have, have we not? Tell you, you can go even to a preacher's meeting and sometimes get distracted by great personalities. You know, that's one of the things I love about the group of preachers that I fellowship with at Heartland Baptist Bible College and the Global Independent Baptist Fellowship. There are no superheroes. Amen? There's no big shots. I'll tell you, it's an amazing thing to me that at a, day, at a table after the meeting, you'll have young church planners, seasoned preachers, and then the leaders of our movement all sitting together Sharing God's word and fellowship is equals. Pastors that pastor churches of a thousand and pastors of churches like ours that are very small compared to theirs. But you know what? 
when we have our eyes on Jesus, we don't have to have our eyes on other people. There's a lot of personalities in our world today. And every one of them are vying for attention. Can you turn on the news and not hear about which Hollywood uh, harlot married which Hollywood, uh, whatever the male equivalent of that is, uh, or sometimes it's both females or whatever. I mean, you just never know what's going on today. But you can't even read the newspaper without reading the sordid tales of these wicked people. And that's a very conservative word when we talk about the lifestyle. They say America doesn't have royalty. We've got Hollywood. Oh, my. I think Hollywood gives the royal family a run for the money. But you know what? When we put, take our eyes off people, off God and put them on people, you're going to get distracted. You're going to start worshiping other than God. By the way, what's politics? That's Hollywood for ugly people. You have any questions, just look at the pictures of some of those guys. And, and, and excuse me, female counterparts. Uh, I mean, it's unbelievable what is in Congress today. And, and our leadership. Let me, let me tell you something. Jesus did not take them up on the Mount of Transfiguration so they'd have the opportunity to meet Moses and Elijah. He took these three disciples there so that when they gave their testimony, everyone who read it would know that even when Moses and Elijah stood beside Jesus, there was no comparison. And when they missed the point... God himself spoke from heaven. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. You say, how can I know that I'm actually listening to Jesus and just not your opinion? Well, we deal with this regularly at our church. Take it home and read it. Find out that what we said in the Bible is what Jesus said. I work diligently to make sure that the sermons I preach are not just merely opinion or ideas. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes they slip in a little bit. I'm a human being. But I work hard to make sure that you're directed to Jesus. You see, it was Jesus that died on the cross. No man, no church, no organization. It was Jesus that was buried in the grave for three days and he rose again. God wanted these disciples to understand that even if you could meet the two greatest people in Jewish history, I don't think anybody would argue, Moses and Elijah. Nothing. Not even topical. 
when they're standing beside Jesus. Amen? We're going to go to one more passage this morning. Actually, two more, but one more point. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Do you see it yet? Do you see Jesus? Or are you still seeing that problem? Do you still see Jesus? Or are you looking at that person or group of people that's causing you trouble? The Bible says we need to see Jesus. Amen. Let's look at verse 20. For our conversation is... Read those next two words for, with me, if you would. For our conversation is in heaven. Now, if your conversation is in heaven, is it on earth? Can't be two places at one time now, can you? Yes, you have to live on earth until Jesus calls you home. But your conversation, our attention, the word conversation in the Old English, in the Greek from which it comes, means your lifestyle. Have you ever heard that word today? Oh, we have all kinds of lifestyles, do we not? But your lifestyle, what really describes who and what you are, is not on earth. If you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's in heaven. Now, let's read the rest of the verse. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, I wish we had time to, to cover every part uh, of those verses this morning. But our conversation, does heaven describe the way you live? That's a little scary now, isn't it? I love it when people accuse me of being so heavenly minded, I'm no earthly good. I said, I, I'm getting it. Amen. But it doesn't always work that way, now does it? Because we take our eyes off Christ. And we let the flesh get up. We do things that are not right. How many are identifying with that? That's where we are. Now, how are we going to get our conversation in heaven? Uh, we've got to look unto Jesus. We've got to understand that he is the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I've gotten a little ahead of myself. I want us to look one more verse. Titus chapter 2. 
Titus. You got first and second Timothy, Titus, and then the book of Philemon. Chapter 2, verse 13. It says, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for Jesus to return? If you want to know one of the most surefire ways to fail when temptation comes, stop thinking about Jesus' return. If you want to know one of the greatest things, the gifts that God has given you to protect you when temptation comes your way, it's simply to remind yourself, would I want Jesus to find me doing? Fill in the blank. Just fill in the blank. But pastor, it's legal to smoke pot in Washington State. Would you like Jesus to come back and find you smoking a, what I don't even know what they call it, a joint, a doobie, a... I mean, just about the time it starts, I, I don't know how any of that stuff works. I don't want to know. Somebody said, well, how in the world can you help me if you've never done it? Uh, let me tell you something. I'm a lot better equipped to help you because I haven't done it. Amen. Would you like Jesus to come and catch you just before the good part of the bad movie starts, if you know what I mean? You see, we need to turn to one other verse today. I want you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2. Now, what I've tried to do this morning is to examine this verse without examining this verse. And so, in order to tie everything together, we've got to come here, and, and Lord willing, everything that we've talked about, you will begin to see uh, the connection but the Bible tells us in verse 2, this is how we are to run that race. This is how we are to serve the Lord Jesus. We are to look, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Are you looking unto Jesus? If you understand that he is the author of your faith, you're never going to get where John the Baptist was saying, are you the one that should come? or do we, Are you the one or do we seek for another? Because if he's the author, he has the right to write our faith as he sees fit. Amen? Faith in God is believing His Word to the point of obedience. 
How many of you did that when, uh, 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 can remember a time in your life where you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, you believed him to the point that you called upon his name and he saved you. You don't have to put your hand up, but I'll tell you what, I don't mind putting my hand up as a testimony, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the author, but you know what? He's the finisher. Finishers are important. You can put up a great big building, but if you don't have good finishers, it's not going anywhere. It's going to look like garbage. Jesus is the author. He's the beginning. He is the source. He is the one who has written the entire plot, but he's also the finisher. At the end of our faith, at the beginning of our faith, it is the same person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those shepherds went to see a baby in Bethlehem's manger that night at the direction of the angels. They saw the creator of the universe wrapped in human flesh who could not talk or even care for his own physical body. Yet in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Say, how do you explain that? I don't. I don't even try. I just know that's what the Bible says. The song we sang, mild he lay his glory by. Well, actually, I don't know if that's quite theologically correct. But he covered it up. Because if you or I were to see his glory, we would all die. He veiled it so that he might live among us. Jesus had a goal in his life. What did he tell Peter in the garden? He said, put up your sword. If I wanted protection, I could get it. Just a few moments before, they said, he asked the question of the mob, whom seek ye? And he's, they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he just said one syllable in the Hebrew, I am. And they all fell down on the ground. I love that verse. He said, I came to suffer. Now, if he came to suffer, and no man suffered like the Savior suffered, would it be a big thing to endure a little hardness for his sake? Now, one of the reasons why we get discouraged with the circumstances of life is because we take our eyes off Jesus. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, this next phrase is important. Despising the shame. You know, sometimes you, you meet people who call themselves Christians and, and they talk about... Oh, yes, people just curse me and spit upon me for the name of Jesus. I just love it so much. There's something wrong with you. 
Jesus didn't love it. The Bible says he despised the shame. And yet he refused to strike back. There's a difference, my friend. That difference is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's coming back. We often sing joy to the world this time of year. If you study the words of that song, it's not a Christmas carol at all. It is, we ought to sing it with um, Jesus is coming again. Because that's what that song is about. At the battle of Armageddon, Jesus is going to return. His foot is going to touch the Mount of Olives on which the city of Jerusalem still stands to this day. And that mountain is going to split right down the middle. And God is going to change the entire geography of the world. Read in the book of Revelation. Read if you're keeping up with your Bible reading. You just read about Ezekiel's temple. All that land isn't there. And it's not flat like a plain. But it will be in that day, my friend. Because the Creator is going to recreate a few things. And when we get our eyes off of him, let me tell you, there's only one other place to put it. Well, there are many places, circumstances. Oh, woe is me. People. Whoa, 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 woe is me. Amen. But if you're looking, if you see Jesus... He's going to bring you through all of these things. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we've, last three Sundays, we've seen your plan through the ages, your plan for our life. But Lord, now we're looking at what you want us to look at. What you want us to see which is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord assembled here together is a great diversity of people. We know that there are many here that have already given testimony that I believe Jesus as my Savior. But Lord, we get our eyes on other things. Maybe as John the Baptist, we get discouraged. Maybe as the disciples, we get distracted by great personalities. Lord, our gaze toward you is broken. Lord, I ask that you would renew within us that are saved here today. that unbroken stare upon the Savior. Lord, I pray for others that are here today 
that are unsaved and they know that they're without the Savior. That today they would set their gaze upon you and be willing to let go of everything else that they might have Jesus. Lord, that they could be saved the Bible way. How many have walked through these doors and says, Pastor, I have so many questions and yet they don't ask the questions. And they leave lost as they came. Lord, we pray that would not be the case. And Lord, there's one other group here this morning that we want to pray for. Those are the ones that, well, that's an okay sermon. I don't quite get the whole point. Lord, I pray that today would be another step closer to Calvary for them. That you would open their eyes, that they would begin to see the truth that is in your word and the things that you have for them. Lord, we are asking that one day we may be assembled together in heaven, rejoicing, in what we see, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We ask that you would direct us on our way until we reach that day with you in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. We'll have Brother Franz come. Lead us in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, the altar is...